go. Okay. Hey guys, this is Bruce. Welcome to Combo Courses. This is the second time today I've done this one. I had to cut the other one short, had an appointment, but here we go. We're going to, this is open topics and everything, but what I want to do is start off with something that's useful to you, which is the NIST cybersecurity framework. I'm going to explain that briefly and um, then we're going to just get into open questions for about one solid hour. All right. So what is the NIST cybersecurity framework. So framework. Framework is a set of rules. It's a guidance. It's a standard that your organization will use. Organization being a, you know, the bank you work at, the gas station you work at, the retail place. All of these guys have to have a certain standard or guidance to make sure that their servers, their computers, their all the equipment that they're using is secure so it doesn't get hacked, so it doesn't get leaked, data doesn't get leaked, all that kind of stuff. So that's what a framework is. The NIST cybersecurity framework, what it does is it takes your organization and says, okay, what are the main things you as an organization need to need to do? And it kind of is different than some of the other frameworks that are out there. The ones that are for retail, the ones that are for, you name it, they've got them for uh, the financial sector. They got them for all different sectors have some sort of guidance or framework, but this one's a little bit different in that it approaches the organization from what do you, what do you need to do? And there's four essential things that an organization needs to do. One is identify. What do they need to identify? They need to identify what actual assets they have. This sounds very simple and seems like, like, why would you have to say that? But <laughs> you'd be surprised how many organizations I've worked at as a contractor, uh, as an employee, where the organization does not know what they have. They don't know how many computers they have. They don't have. They don't know what computers they have. They don't know where they are. They don't know what's going on with them. They don't know where their servers are. They don't know what software they have. Nothing. There's nothing to track it, anything. And it is a nightmare to deal with that. So identification is super important. What do we have in our environment? What is our baseline? What does our network look like? That is what identify does. But it also identifies what what is our role? What what business do we do? What what mission do we have? It identifies all that stuff. The next step is protecting the things that you identify. Protection is encrypting the data making sure you have physical security that's in place, making sure that you have um, risk, some sort of program in place to protect all of the assets that you do identify. So that's protection. Another thing you're going to do is to detect. Detect is super important to your organization as well, because detect is talking about um, if you have any kind of security incidents, if there's anomalies, how do you know if you're getting hacked? How do you know if there's malware, if there's viruses on your network? Detect takes care of that and make sure you have the not only the equipment in place and the software in place if you need that, but also the people to actually do that job to detect that stuff. Now, now that you've detected what is going on, the next step you have to do is to respond. How are you going to handle those incidents? What do you do? Do you have people in place to actually handle whatever is going on and how quickly do they respond? And then the last thing is recovery. Let's say you get hit, your system goes down, you get hacked, whatever. How are we going to respond? To, I mean, how, what, how are we going to recover? That's your backups. That's your res restoration of your, uh, of your system, an alternate site, all those kinds of things. What are our plans? 
What do we have in place? So those are the things that the NIST CSF covers. Now, if you want to go more in depth in this, and you actually want to go more into like what, what do you actually do, um, then I have a book out right now that's free. I'm looking for downloads. Like right now, it's free for a limited amount of time. Really, I'm looking for uh, reviews. It's going to really help me out. It's in description below. It's on the profile. And with that, all that said, I'm going to get into some questions that I missed the last time we did this. All right. So I had to cut this short last time. So let me see if there's anything else. Here's the book right here, by the way. This book is out. Um, I'm still working on the downloadables. going to have a whole bunch of downloadables with it. Um, that'll be templates and all that kind of stuff. But that stuff's going to take me a little bit longer to do. But this is an early release. So this is a great opportunity for you to jump in there. So this is what I was talking about. Here's identify. Here's uh, governance. So you've got uh, GRC stuff, governance, compliance, risk, risk management, uh, su supply chain, uh, risk management. It goes, this book goes into all these things in better detail and just enough detail for you to make it actionable. And so I try to make it as useful as possible for you guys. So that's the book right there. Feel free to get it on Amazon, link in description, link in bio. But let me see. I had a question. Um, somebody asked me a question about uh, if they're they're a foreigner and they wanted to get a job here in the U.S., um, what would I do? So I, I thought that was an interesting question. So I could tell you what I would do. So first of all, I wouldn't limit myself to the U.S. So that's the first thing. What I would do is whatever country I was trying to go to. I, I would look locally and I would look abroad. And the way that you want to do it is you want to find the first thing you got to do is um, you're trying to take your skills and match them with people who are looking for those skills. Whatever whatever skills you have, you're, you're trying to match your skill set with your, it's supply and demand. You got to find the demand that's out there and then you're going to supply it with your skill set. And you can do the reverse of that. Say, what is my skill set and what who is looking for these skills that I have? So that's a really important part piece of this whole thing. Um, one of the first things that I do that you could do. Is look for that demand in your local country, whatever country you happen to be in. Don't rule out your own country and then abroad. And so every country, a lot of people don't know this, but every country has their own most popular set of 10 job security sites, uh, job, um, job search sites, job aggregators, job, um, whatever you want to call it. And let me, I want to demonstrate this for you. See if I can bring, bring this up here. And uh, let's say we were looking for jobs in, um, I don't know, uh, Kenya or something. And so what we're, I'm in Google right now and I type in top job sites in Nairobi. Let's just say Kenya. We're looking for all the top sites there because the sites here that are most popular are not 
are not the same ones that are popular in in Nairobi or in Kenya or whatever country you live in. So you want to find the top 10 sites. And so just real quickly, I found, okay, top 20 most, most popular sites in, I don't know how good this site is, but I'm going to go through two different ones. Okay, first one is this one here. This one is, hold on, let me make my screen a little bit bigger for those who are watching this. For those who are watching. Okay, so it's saying uh, Brighter Monday, top 20 best Kenyan job sites. Uh, Brighter Monday, Fuzu, Career Point, Kenya, Duma Works, Job, Kenya, best job. You want the top 10. Career Jet, I'm familiar with that one. So that's one list. We, we don't want to just do one list. So I'm going to do another list here. Say top job sites in Nairobi. Nairobi is like the biggest city in Kenya. So we want to, let's check that one. Let's see if there's any cross, we could cross reference. Like we find like three lists that have the top ones and then we'll figure out like which ones we see most often. All right, so now here's another list of sites here. Google.com, okay. LinkedIn. So this is all the same as in the U.S. This is why you want to check uh, more than one site. Okay, here's here's one that's new. United Nations Careers Portal, careers.un.org. Um, cooperate site. Safaricom Careers. Impact pool. This is a completely different list. So this is not okay. DevX that looks familiar. I thought I saw that one. No. Okay, so I'm getting completely different list. <laughs> uh, let's let's try another one. Kenya job sites. Whatever country you happen to be in, this is what you want to do. This is the exercise you want to do. Look for the top job sites in that country. And I'll show you why the next step will, it'll make more sense once I tell you the next step. Kenya jobs. Okay. Brighter Monday. Okay. I've seen that one before. No Sangha. Let's see. 10 job sites. Okay. I think I already been to this site. Skip this one. My jobs top 20. I think I've been to that one. Kenya job board sites. Um, Brighter Monday. Okay. Here we go. Brighter Monday. Fuzu. GG and uh, Career Point Kenya. All right, now I have CareerJet. <clears throat> there we go. So I'm seeing the same ones. What you want to do is you want to search the top three sites, whatever country you're trying to go to, right? And then what you locally, I would start locally, start locally, because most of the jobs you're gonna you're gonna have the greatest opportunity for are gonna be local jobs, and you'd be surprised how many awesome local jobs you have. So you don't want to rule those out before we go abroad, before we go to the US or go to UK or whatever, right? Try local first because those are going to be the best ones. So um, we have our set of 10 sites. Now, the next step we want to do is the one that people do not do for whatever reason, no matter how many times to tell them is apply for every on every single one of those sites. Every single one of them. You want to upload your resume, the ATS style resume. Upload your resume on all those sites. Now, in other countries, they have a different style of resume. You might have to do a, what's called a, a CV where you have a picture and all that kind of stuff. Whatever resume style, um, do that resume. 
for that country. Upload it to the top 10 or even top 20, if you're serious, top 20 sites and fill out the entire profile on those sites for that country. Now what you want to do is go abroad. Now that you've done it locally, now you want to go abroad. So here's you do the same thing. Essentially, if you're trying to go to the UK, if you're trying to go to the US, if you're trying to whatever country you're trying to Australia, whatever country you're trying to go to, search for the top 10. You can use Bing. You can use Google, whatever your favorite search engine is, whatever it is. You can even use ChatGPT will work really good with this. What you want to type in is top job uh, sites in X country. And then go down the list of all you want to do it on three different website, uh, different search engines, I would recommend because um, not three different. What you want to do is do it, do three different searches and do like three different lists so you can get a an idea of which what are the top sites? Because some some sites you go to are just just is BS, right? They're just trying to get you to click on something. But you want to get a consensus between three different sources so that you have an idea of, okay, these top five, you'll, you'll notice like top five always popping up or top 10 on every single one of those lists that consistently come up. And those are the ones you want to apply for. Apply for those ones in that country, apply locally, and just keep applying. Um, you want to put the whole uh, profile on uh, on the site. Another thing that you want to do is that what I've noticed is, give you an example. Um, what I've noticed is that uh, whenever I put ISO 27001, which is a an international standard, I noticed that European jobs will pop up. Whenever I put uh, NIST 800, on my resume, you probably, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll explain it in a second. <laughs> so if I put NIST 800, US, a bunch of US jobs come my way. What I'm getting at is certain skills, technologies, and uh, certain thing, knowledge base that you put on your resume are going to be more attractive to certain countries. Because China, for example... They use like Huawei is a huge um, is a huge brand there, and and that's like their top networking. But in the U.S., you just don't really use Huawei. There's not many companies here that use that. Uh, they might even be banned here, <laughs> to be honest with you. Cisco is what they use here. So if you know Cisco stuff, it's going to be more popular and more in demand here than if you were to go overseas. And then in the in EU, I know that they have, uh, man, Ericsson. They have a bunch of Nokia, Ericsson, and there's a few other brands that are popular there. So if you are familiar with those, that technology, that's going to help you out. If, if there's certain standards that are more popular in that country and you have it on your resume, that you're familiar with it, that you worked with it before, that you have a skill set in it, then that's what you want to have on your resume. Now, if you don't have that stuff on your resume, you don't even know where to start with that. LinkedIn for the U.S., if you go to LinkedIn, you can look at other people's resume and get some idea of what what employers are looking for and uh, how people are marketing themselves, what kind of skill sets they're. Sometimes it's a matter of wording. Sometimes they word it different. than And if you word it in the way that they're wording it, like you've done those skills before, but if you word it like they're wording it, you'll get uh, more traction. You'll get more people 
contacting you about your resume. I get a lot of people contacting me about my resume. That's why I'm always telling people, check out my resume, download my resume, check it out. There's, there's something I'm doing right on there, right? You might have way more certifications. You might have way more technical skills. You're for sure smarter than I am. <laughs> so why the hell is a guy like me getting way more opportunities than somebody like yourself? You, There's something I'm doing right. Look, Take a look at my resume and look at the wording on it. Look at what, what's going on with it. I, my resume is marketed specifically towards a certain demographic of employer. I have targeted it so that I know exactly what I'm trying to get. And that's what you have to do. You have to target uh, the whatever organization or whatever uh, you're trying to get into, whether it be network engineering or if you're trying to do information assurance or if you're trying to do whatever it happens to be, you've got to target your resume for those employers. And it's, it's actually very easy to do because you just go to those employers' website and look at the jobs that they're posting, what, what kinds of jobs they're looking for, and you post what they're looking for. Like you look at, okay, they want somebody who has a bachelor's degree. I'm working on my bachelor's degree. <laughs> I'm work, I'll be done in, by 2024. You know, of course, make sure that that's, the, that, that's true because you don't want to get in the resume. I'm not telling you to lie in the resume. Um, but when you get into the interview, they will ask you about that. And that's why I say don't lie about it. Okay, I got a couple people contacting me saying stuff here. Let me see. Somebody said, um, where would you be learn where would you be able to learn networking and doing labs to understand it? Networking is not my forte, but uh let me see if I can at one point I did. I don't think that the the same networking tools that I used back in the day. I don't know that they they still use it. But one of the GNS3 is one of the main ones that I used to use. Um G and I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but G it's called GNS3. Just like that. Go to Bing, go to Google, whatever, type in G Golf November Sierra 3. GNS3. And GNS3 is a software that empowers network professionals. Basically, it allows you to do like a, it, it allows you to create a lab on your laptop to where you can have like, um, you can create la uh, LAN, local area networks, and then make them talk to each other. And why that's important is because a lot of times you don't have the, the money or the resources to just buy a whole bunch of Cisco equipment and then set them up in your house. Like that's what we used to do back in the day. We'd go on Craigslist. Here's another thing you can do, by the way. You can go on Craigslist. And look for uh, people who are selling their old routers. This is what I used to do. <laughs> this is how crazy I was. Um, and me and another partner of mine. You go on Craigslist. Um, and Craigslist is, is like, if you never heard of it, it's like a site where people sell old used equipment, old couches, old stuff on there. But they also sell old equipment they don't new, use anymore. And a lot of these... Um, Network engineers who are either retiring or they've moved on or they got no equipment or they virtualized all their stuff and they don't need all their old stuff. They have already spent all this money on this equipment that they have in their house to do a G they do a CCNP or some high level certification and um, they don't need it anymore. And meanwhile, they spent five hundred dollars to get all this equipment or a thousand dollars. And now they're trying to recoup some of the investment they put in. So they start giving it away on Craigslist. We're like. 100 bucks, 50 bucks, 30 bucks, 
or whatever. So what I did is I went on Craigslist and start buying up all this network equipment. And then I networked them together. I got them to work. Like part of the whole experience of building the lab taught me so much. Like I would turn on the router and it's like, damn, this thing's not, the power's coming on, but why can't I log into it? Now I got to figure out how to log into it. So I had to get a console cable. I had to figure out what kind of console cable to buy that will connect to my computer. I had to have a DB9 cable. Like, damn, okay, where do I find DB9? So I have to find that, figure out what's going on with DB9 cables. And I had to <laughs> So you're going through all this stuff to create this lab. And meanwhile, you're learning so much stuff. Now I'm logged into the system. Now, man, what's going on? The, 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 for a reason, the operating system's not turning on. I got to load an operating system on this damn thing, you know. So I once I got to that point, I'd finally get the network working. Now I'm getting this router to talk to this router. It's like, okay, it can ping this one. It can see this. So all the steps you had, I had to do to do all of that helped me out quite a bit. Craigslist, you could probably find them these days on like Facebook Marketplace, probably has them like old routers. Look for Google or go to Facebook and type in old routers or go to Craigslist old routers, old switches, and you'll find that stuff. E eBay might be another great place to look to where people are just kind of giving their equipment away. Um, as far as websites, GNS3, VMware has some good uh, stuff you can do, mess around with networking there. Another one is, uh, man, what's, what's the other one? There's a couple. VirtualBox is another good one. Um, and then... People on, on this call might might actually know some even better places. Somebody said, I got two switches from my cousin, but I was wondering what types of labs do you do on them? What types of labs? What types of labs would I do on them? Um, well, I was really weak on, on, on switches, and I needed to learn that. So what I would do is I would set up a local area network. Like I just wanted basic local area network stuff. And I would I would try to set up like um, VLANs. And I was just tear, put, put together a VLAN and then tear it apart again. And then when I got into networking, what I would do is set up two separate networks and then have one attack network, have one computer attack this other network. So it would be enough for me to just make a basic network with a little either a firewall or no firewall, just depending on what I was doing. And then I have this attack laptop with using um, uh, Kali Linux and even going further back, backtrack. I don't know if you guys heard of that, but I would use this, this um, hacker tool and then just go and try to see what I could see, what, what the packets look like. That was such a good learning. It depends on what you're trying to do. It says, I'm also starting to study for my network plus you're going way far for network plus like you don't even have to do all this for network plus <laughs> but that's pretty hardcore man I, that's mad respect lots of respect especially if you already have uh the switches and stuff um let me see i got a question before i do any more TikTok questions somebody said they have a msee a cissp a cism and a casp man that's incredible. That's incredible. Um, Jonathan R says, hey, Bruce, this new book of yours, is it for entry level people with no experience? You could this book is a little different. You could get it and read it with no experience. 
I mainly wrote it for people who are, have a need a practical understanding of it so they can implement um, the they towards implementation. It's going to give you a, a good, solid understanding of what this book of what uh, the NIST CSF is. I've written it in such a way that it's accessible to somebody who doesn't have a lot of knowledge, but there's going to be some things that are not, that are kind of out. Like if you have no experience in IT, it's, it's going to be a little, there's going to be some verbiage in there. That's going to be like, damn, you're going to have to probably, you know, Google it or something, but you could pick this one up. I wouldn't recommend some of my other book, like the NIST 800 one probably is a little too, it's just too in the weeds, the stuff I'm talking. You could read it, but it's kind of like it's really for a specialized uh, group of people. But this one probably you could probably pick this one up and just if you just wanted to learn NIST CSF. It, after you read the book, you'd be able to speak on it. You'd be able to speak on it, like you'd be able to just tell somebody what C NIST CSF. You would know what it was for sure. But um, is it my audience really wasn't somebody who's, you know, doesn't know anything It's for managers, it's for IT professionals, for cybersecurity professionals, people who are going to actually use the book is who I really wrote it for. Where is the book? The book is in description and it's in my profile. For, if you're on TikTok uh, for free, it's on uh, it's only free for like the next four days, five days. And then also you can get it in if you're watching me on on Facebook, on Indeed, or I mean, in LinkedIn and YouTube, it's in description. So check it out, download it. Um, any little bit helps me out. Even just downloading it helps me out, to be honest with you. But reviews is what I'm really looking for. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for all your your help. I really appreciate it. Like I said, you, you guys. You guys are instrumental in making me feel, I mean, not feel like I'm a legit author because people are literally buying my book and and consuming it and using it and, and everything. So that's, it's been incredible. I've always wanted to be a writer, you know? And so um, now I'm I'm a writer. So I'm officially, I'm officially a writer. It's, cra it's crazy, but um, I'm doing something I've always dreamed of doing. Um, JM... Thayer says, get Cisco phones to Cisco Labs, Google Cisco Lab schools curriculum, uh, 8140 instruction. It's all good stuff. It's try hack me valid uh, for this uh, to start with. It's try hack me valid to start with. Um, it's va valid for if you're trying to be a – it is good. Okay. First of all, try hack me is incredible. So is hack the box very good tools to learn uh, at any level because it starts you off at level zero and then you build up from from nothing and learning to hack mainly. So the direction that it's going is just like ethical hacking. And it also teaches you like what kinds of things you shouldn't do on your computer or your website. If you set up a website, it's going to expose you to some vulnerabilities that you'll see that are common in all over in in every industry so i would argue that it's very good for training um to start with i would say it's really good for starting now if you're trying to go deeper and you're trying to be a cybersecurity professional and trying to get a job in this field at some point you're gonna have to evolve from try hack me or go deeper much much deeper into try hack me and what i mean to say is that cybersecurity is a very very broad broad field 
And that said, like, I don't know. I'm not a hacker. Like, I can't. I'm making six figures. I work from home. I've been doing this for seven years. I'm not a hacker. I do not know how to code. I, you might be wondering, like, well, then how the hell are you? Like, how can you call yourself a cybersecurity professional? <laughs> um, It's a mystery. <laughs> um, It's because cybersecurity is a very broad field. It's not just hacking. It's not just code. You know, so I'm here to talk to folks that are trying to go in a different direction. I could talk a little bit about cybersecurity um, analysis. I could talk a little bit about I know a little bit about a lot about a little bit, you know, like a little bits here and there. But, I, you know, I can't speak on the deep stuff of, with coding. I can't say anything about it. Somebody said, uh, would you encourage people to switch careers even uh, with the threat of AI? Absolutely. Absolutely. AI. There's there's something going on with AI, and um, I've fallen prey to this too, and it's irrational exuberance. Uh, this is a coin. This is a phrase coined by the financial sector. <laughs> irrational exuberance. It means people are way too happy and way too excited, and um, are putting way too much um, irrationally uh, putting too much into it. That said, it's very, very powerful. It's, I use it. I'm using the hell out of it, you know, especially to help me to write, especially to help me to do editing and stuff like that. I mean, it's a really great tool. But I've because I've been using it, I'm seeing like I'm hitting like a wall with it. For one thing, I'll give you specific examples with AI. So I was messing around writing. I've I written a couple, a couple books about it. Like I literally went through like, OK, how do you do this? learn how to do it. And I would just write anything that I was learning and what I was literally using, I put it in a book. And I noticed right away when I was trying to do frameworks, the cybersecurity frameworks, that it would flat out tell some lies. Flat out tell like, and I'm not trying to tell you to not do AI. Like I said, I wrote books so that you can use, like you should definitely use it. Like it's time to use it, but it's a tool. It's not going to replace you. Not yet. Maybe Maybe in about within about 10 years, maybe with maybe 10 years from now, but it's not there yet. Right now, it's an incredible tool that I think will be as powerful as the phone. Um, but, you know, the, the phone replace us. No, it didn't. You know, it's a tool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, so example, I was writing this book about NIST 800 and I was like, OK, how can I? What, how can I use it? And I'm, I put some stuff in there, like did some prompt engineering and it flat out told some like just making stuff up. And I'm like, this is actually dangerous because if people believe it, I don't know if you guys heard in the news about a lawyer who was doing a case and he used chat GPT and it chat GPT just came up with some fake cases and this lawyer didn't do his due diligence, right? All he did was took the cases and went directly to the he went to the courthouse with these fake cases and he got called out. Definitely heard about the lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh man. Yeah, it it'll flat out. It's a great tool, but you gotta double check it. So I was writing a book about NIST 800, and I'm I've been doing NIST 800 for many, many years. So off the top of my head, I know what's right or wrong. It was giving me wrong. Uh, security controls. It was it was making stuff up on that. 
Um, it was giving me the wrong, um, it was using like the old standard of NIST 800 and I'd have to tell it, hey, you have to use this standard. And they were like, oh, I'm sorry. And then it would give me the right one. So it's it's not it's not going to replace your job yet, you know, so you're you're safe. I would argue even writers, even um, even coders, especially you're you're good. Like it's a great tool to use, but not it's not going to replace you just yet. You know, so I would say I would argue that somebody and this is one of the things I discussed in mentioned in one of my books is that it is not going to replace and this is a quote from somebody it's not something i made up <laughs> uh somebody quoting somebody who said ai won't replace you but somebody using ai will replace you and i believe that so that's why it's important for you to learn it but is it is it time to switch careers um because of ai somebody's like afraid because if you switch into it or cybersecurity you know suddenly ai is going to replace your job no no it's not going to it's not they can't the government financial sector cannot trust ai to do everything because it's just not there yet it'll just come up with some, it'll hallucinate some stuff come up with false narratives all kinds of stuff it's just not there yet ai is not is not all intuitive yet still in development exactly it's still in beta it's it's an it's so cool to use i don't know if you guys ever if you wanted to use it with like um it's really good for story writing like making stuff up is really good about with that if you if you happen to do like a friend of mine uses it to play like D D. um yeah it's really cool for stuff like that like if it's making things up like for random stuff that you're not gonna like sell um then yeah, it's really good with that. But anything else, if you're trying to sell some stuff and you're trying to like create something and sell it, like you really got to check it because it'll plagiarize stuff. It'll make random. If you're trying to do facts, it'll make up random facts. <laughs> you got to double check everything it puts out. Like you got to check the make sure it doesn't plagiarize stuff. Make sure there's no copyright infringement. You got to double check the facts. So, yeah, we're not there yet. Maybe one day. Are you talking about artificial intelligence? Yes. Um, let me see. Jonathan says, awesome. Is there a book you wrote for like beginners such as myself? No experience. Per yes, I do have one book. Um, it's uh, I do have one called Cybersecurity Fundamentals Best Practices. It's on Amazon right now. And um, that book is for absolute beginners. I'm trying to see if there's a market for beginners. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. So I'll like, what I'll do is I'll create something and put it out there to see if people will even, you know, like want to read it or whatever. It's sometimes there's no audience. There's not enough people who will actually purchase it for me to put my time and money and energy into creating, you know, the cover and the, you know, editing it and all this kind of stuff I got to do to write the book. But if people are interested, I'll write a whole series about that book. But I don't want to like waste my time. Like one of the books, I wrote an entire series about it and nobody cares about that book. <laughs> um, but uh, it's out there. That book is out there. So it's called Cyber. Go to Amazon, type in cyber security. Actually, if you go to, hmm, if you're on TikTok and, and look at my link tree, it'll have, it should have a copy of it there. But if not, go to Amazon, type in cybersecurity best practices. That one's for beginners, like new, new beginners that'll help you out. 
Um, there is a marketplace for beginners. Yeah, and, and the thing is, JM, is like, here's the trick. <laughs> so there's a market for it, but if it's too competitive, then even if I write a book, like I can't break into that. I'm not going to get sales. Like there's 20 people. Those dummies books, those computers, those are very successful, man. Like I, I don't know if I can compete with that. Those guys have like 900 reviews. So it's it's a it's a matter of not only having this, seeing the demand for it, but also can I break into the competition? Can I can I be competitive in that place? You know, with 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 NIST CIS um, with um, let me see, like with uh, CSF cybersecurity framework with NIST 800, I'm very competitive in that. Like if I release a book, people will buy it and read it. But and then I'm like a top seller in that one. But if it's something like that, I'm really messing around with it. I don't know how if if it'll how far it'll go. 31 years of experience in government marketing, market yourself. Yeah, I'm marketing the hell out of myself. I'm learning I'm I'm getting in there. I'm selling books like it's it, it's going pretty good, but I just don't know about this market. I'm kind of testing the waters right now. You can compete with D Gibson. Um is that like a is that like a popular uh a popular teacher on uh Udemy or something? There's a couple of those guys. We are on LinkedIn. Oh, Really? Hmm. I've been thinking about doing some stuff for LinkedIn. Get cert, get ahead. Uh, let me see. Is the entry level pool flooded because it seems like job positions are looking for three years of experience? Um, I think there's there's a seems to be a misconception about what what. Uh, entry level means in IT. So a lot of a lot of folks who jump on these lives, um, they want to get into IT and they see entry level. And in, uh, in many other career fields, if it says entry level, like nursing, for example, like if you are, excuse me, if you are in the healthcare industry and you said you want an entry level position, they have entry level positions where you don't need, you need like maybe a few weeks or months worth of basic training and then you can like cnas like a certified nursing assistant you they have like what four months of experience of uh training they have to have like cpr training basic stuff and then they can get in and that's entry level and they can literally have no experience and actually come in and do that work with it they'll say it's entry level but then they'll say we want three years of experience entry level it's like yo what what <laughs> thought you said is entry level. So IT is different. So you have different levels of. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. All you vets out there, tell me I'm wrong. There's different levels to the entry level. So there are jobs that require no experience. I mean that that don't require experience. I, I should say, but most of them, if they say entry level, they mean about a a year. That's yeah. That's how it is. So if you specifically want a job with no experience, you got to specifically look for a job with no experience. Um, and they're not many of them and they don't pay very well. But if you if you do it right, you can get into a job with no experience. That'll get you 
get your foot in the door and get you the experience. That's what you, that's what I would do. If I were, if I had no experience and I really wanted to get in. So what I would do is I'd go on LinkedIn. I'd go on Indeed on Monster and I look specific. You can literally search for IT jobs, no experience, and you'll find those jobs locally because most of them won't be work from home or something like that. So look for the local ones and then aggressively look for those. Like I said, they're not going to pay a lot, but if you get your foot in the door, now you can put that on your resume and say, yeah, I worked at this organization for six months. And then while you're working for them for six months, be working on your security plus or your A plus certification or something like that. This is not going to be easy. The I would say that the these jobs exist, but the um, there is a there's a lot more you have to do to get in the to get in the door. Like you, it's not like healthcare where you have you have a a tier where you could literally walk in and, and have no like a CNA no experience but you have the knowledge and you have a certification and then boom you know you're seeing that you're a certified nursing assistant and then from there you can become a nurse right you can have the experience you can go to nursing school while you're doing cna work and then it's a little bit different in it not to say you can't do that it's just that we don't have a it would be cool like we should have a cna type position that would be great but we just don't we don't have it there's nothing i can point to and say Oh, take this right here and then go work here and you'll make $20 an hour. And then, you know, I, there's nothing I can point to. The best I can do is say, look specifically for those local jobs that require no experience. Get in that position, work there a few months. And then that's what I would say to do. Um, let me see. Which one of your programs should I purchase first? Um, Pierre, I would say if you have zero experience, is start off with YouTube. Don't even buy it. You don't have to buy anything from me, man. I got a ton of free stuff. Actually, go to ComboCourses.com. Look for some free stuff to download. Check out my resume. That's free. Check out my um, – I've got a course on there that's free called um, Cybersecurity Entry Level, which is talking about some of the stuff I'm talking about right now and giving you some ideas of where to start um stuff to look for becoming a geek before you become a nerd kind of thing <laughs> becoming a geek before you actually start working on computers and then once you work on computers get to get into a position um an IT position and then like I'm showing you like a way to level up to get to a cybersecurity position so that's where you could start but another thing you want to do you don't have to spend money. like if you have no experience I got free stuff what you want to do is go on, on Google right now. You're in a place where you want to go on YouTube and then research a bunch of IT um, IT skill sets and learn as much as possible. It's a long game. Yep. JM said it. It's a long game. Um, the, it's worth it, though, because um, I'm, I'm doing pretty I'm doing really good. You know, um, this this stuff, this is a side gig for me. Like, I do not have to do this, man. You know, my job, it pays good. And I I'm always employed no matter what the economy looks like. And I could go get employed some another country if I wanted to. Like this is it's in demand, man. But there's a certain level. There's levels to this. You know, did you don't just automatically get to the to this level? It, it took me a while. I'd be lying to you if I said 
oh, just take the CCNA and then suddenly like some other guys are saying like, go, just go take the CCNA and then you make six figures. No, even there's a couple guys on, on TikTok. There's a dude on TikTok. His name's Chris. Props, mad props to Chris. But this dude, talk about him all the time. But this dude, he got a master's degree. He got this certification, a professional level certification called the OSCP, and he is making six figures. But let me tell you something. So this dude, he busted his ass to get that. He got a master's degree within a year. Do you know how hard that is? And he had to spend money to do that. So, and he had a he had a, he got his professional level cert, and, and within I want to say within two years he got or less. He's up to six figures and he could work anywhere. That is very difficult. What he did is super hard and not everybody can do what he did. So I'm not, I'm just, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I'm telling you, it's hard. You know, it is not, this isn't, and this job's not for everybody. I, I would argue that anybody can do levels of this job for sure, but not everybody's going to want to. So you should probably test out your waters. If you're absolutely brand new to this and you're like seeing that money, you're seeing that six figures, you're watching these videos and you're like, damn, try it out first. Like mess around with it because this might not be for you. You might not want to do this. Um, let me see. I got some other comments, questions and stuff. Frameworks are broad, but one has to pick up the right one. For the right organization. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely true. Um, so some organ what he's talking about is um I do I've been doing this for a while, um, doing frameworks. And frameworks is like a set of guidelines that organizations use to be compliant with different laws, federal laws, state laws, industry laws, like credit card industry laws, or whatever. Not every organization uses every every uh, framework. For example, hospitals don't necessarily need NIST 800 or NIST cybersecurity framework, um, but they probably are going to need something like privacy, um, protection of PII and HIPAA. And then if you go to retail, if you go to Walmart, big box stores, Target, whoever, those guys probably don't have, they don't care about HIPAA at all, but because that's healthcare stuff, but they do care about credit card information because 90% of their revenue comes from that world, you know, um, comes from protection of credit card, comes from credit cards. They have to be able to protect credit cards. So every each framework kind of fits a certain uh, industry. And the one that I would say that probably encomp can, can encompass all of them would be the NIST cybersecurity framework because the way it's written allows you to fit other frameworks in in it like a like tetris is it's actually pretty amazing the way they wrote it brilliant uh let me see no cookie cutter frameworks but dod has its own uh no doubt for example yeah Are you a GRC analyst? Um, I wouldn't. I do. I do GRC. I guess you could probably. My official title is an information system security officer, which falls within GRC. 
So GRC, governance, risk, and compliance. I'll probably fall in the, <clears throat> the compliance, risk, and a little bit of the governance. So I do a little bit of all those things. So um, am I an analyst by trade? Yeah, absolutely. Like I can tell an organization, I can go into an organization and say, okay, you need that you need to be compliance with X, Y, and Z. And if I don't know what it what they need to be compliance with, I can find out and then tell them how to be compliant with it and get them a certification and get them. And I could help them to uh, conduct a uh, a risk analysis that will give them to tell them the gaps of security issues that they might have or compliance issues. So that's something I could totally do. But my official title right now is called an information system security officer that I've been doing for quite some time. So. And then you said uh, the NIST 853. Yeah, that's my bread and butter right there. I know all about that. NIST 853, NIST 837, risk management framework. That's all day long. That's what I do. That's my that's mainly what I do. But I have a mess with other things. Yeah, um, I met mess with um, uh, NIST CSF. Um, I mess with uh, a little bit of uh, PCI compliance, D, uh, PCI DSS, ISO twenty seven thousand and one, even a little pharmacy stuff. Uh, GXP that was interesting, and some other frameworks. Uh, let me see. Got some other stuff. ISO is a scary job, a lot of responsibilities. Um, information system security officer. You know, when I first started, um, I I thought so too. But what I've come to learn is that is that it's a process. You get scared about ISO work because information system security officer work because you're given the responsibility to kind of be the security eyes and ears of the organization. And especially if you're in a classified environment and you're seeing people do weird stuff with classified material, because they kind of, there's a heightened level of fear around classified information, because if it gets leaked, it's very embarrassing to the organization and real consequences can happen. If it's if something happens with classified information, if you have classified hard drives and then you've got a mixture of unclassified and different classification levels and you're the one who has to take account for all those for all those hard drives, it can get it can be a pretty uh, stressful. But what I've learned is having done this for a long time is that this whole thing is a process and. It's not just the ISO's job, the information system security officer's job to take on all the responsibilities of security. And organizations that put that much that much pressure on the shoulders of the ISO, I found are kind of broken. And the reason why I say that is because what's supposed to happen is that the organization as a whole is supposed to distribute their level of risk. And the main risk lies, the buck stops with the actual head of agency who has to sign off for the residual risk. That is how it's supposed to work. Security is not just one person's job, but in some organizations, they make it feel like they make you feel like you're it is your job. You, you're the only person who bears all the responsibility of all security. And that's just not how it works. Think about it. The last few security, I bet you the last security incidents or leaks or uh, hacks that you heard of 
happened because one random user or admin system administrator who was not an ISO clicked on the wrong link. You're going to tell me that's your that you're responsible for that person clicking that one, that link, that phishing link? The organization has to implement a certain level of security uh, training. Security awareness training has to happen on a regular basis. And there's a certain level of risk, even if no matter how much training you have, you can't stop everybody from clicking every single link. There's a certain level of risk. That's why we call it risk management, because there's no such thing as a zero percent like removing all risk. Like you have to have some level of risk. So what we're doing is managing the risk. And you as the ISO are not the person who's taking all that risk. What you're doing is helping the organization to manage the risk. Now, if there's an email came through and three months ago it says you were supposed to uh, tell the IT team to upload, to uh, upgrade this or that vi uh, vulnerability and you forgot to do that, they can come back and say, hey, weren't you supposed to tell them to, okay, that's valid. Like you were supposed to send that on its way, right? Really, you're like a pipeline. You're like you're like a newscaster telling the weather, right? If you if you don't, if you don't like, hear me out. Hear me out, okay? Because I this is a really this is a crazy misconception that I had when I was first started out, and I still notice some of my coworkers have the same ideology: is that the buck stops with me. All security falls on my shoulders. I must do everything, and if something happened, it's my fault. And it just feels very stressful, very, very stressful. But good cybersecurity within an organization, I've noticed, is a process that the whole organization takes on. From the janitor who has a, the only reason that they have a username and password is to put their time in, they have to have some level of cybersecurity on them too. Anybody who has an account, or it's in the building. I would argue in the building because you have to you have to display your badge. Everyone must display their badge as they walk around the campus. Okay, everyone. You can't piggyback people when they come in the door. You got to make sure that it's shut so they can key card and you can they can validate their entry into the organization. Right. So security is everyone's responsibility. As an ISO, what I'm doing is I'm reporting what security needs to happen. And sometimes I have to be the bearer of bad news. We have a vulnerability that's on a, a thousand systems and it's a zero day exploit. And we have to, we have to fix this thing yesterday, you know, and then I have to meet with the team and say, okay, guys, I know we just cleaned up 2000 systems, but now we have a thousand more that just came through. And they're like, oh my, I have to be the bearer of bad news sometimes. And tell them, okay, here's what's going on. Let how can we fix? How can we fix this? Not how can Bruce fix this? How can we, as an organization, fix this problem as a team? You know what I mean. So it can be very stressful, but um, one of the things that have helped me to alleviate alleviate some of the stress that I've had is that this is not just me that's doing this. It's us as a whole that have to get together and fix this. So um, that that's that's how I think of it. And it's it really helped me to not be stressed out. 
if something doesn't work out or something, you know, goes awry or something, there's a problem. I always think of it in terms of like, how can we fix this process? What went wrong in our process? And it takes such a load off my shoulders. So let me see. I got some other folks talking here. Whoa, I got some CIS, some CISSPs joining me. Um, the great thing is that many federal organizations follow DOD DISA framework examples, which is great for transition tr transitioning members, uh, military members. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's it's been super helpful helpful for me. Super helpful. Um, because, and the reason why it's been helpful is because a lot of organizations actually use that are outside the military, um, use, um, like he's saying, NASA uses, um, uses, uh, the same federal, um, some of the same frameworks as the DOD does. The DOD, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines all use the same framework um and then the contractors who work for them use those frameworks and then so once you know this common body of knowledge for the NIST 837 NIST 853 they can add the navy for is notorious for this they'll add all this extra stuff well all of them do really not just in seeing out the navy but the air force the army the marines they all add their own special sauce to it, but at the end of the day, it's still the NIST 853. It's still the same control families. It's still so if you know the NIST 837, NIST 853, then you know 80% of what's going on. And then you got to learn the jargon uh, of the Marines or the Army or the Air Force or NASA or whoever. Like, because all federal organizations and check this out, Sergio, some states use it and some other. Some some uh, private sector actually use NIST 800. I was surprised to see. Start working for the private sector, and I was surprised to see that they actually use NIST 800 in some cases. And, and they also use a uh, big one is NIST Cybersecurity Framework. Um, any advice for taking the CIS the CISA exam? Do auditors need to be specially trained in specific domains or they or can they pick up experience excuse me with broad based knowledge i don't i'm not sure um i do not have a cisa i i, I don't have that certification i've been thinking about taking this a very good certification from isaka but um if anybody else might who's on here i, I believe there's a couple people on here who has a cisa if, if you guys, anybody who's watching me, if you have the CISA, here's the question. He says, any advice for somebody about to take the exam? And he asks, do auditors need to be specially trained in specific domains or can they have uh, pick up the experience with a broad base, broad based knowledge in cybersecurity? That's their question. So any advice on CISA, if you've taken it before, it will be helpful. I can say that um, a few of my peers have it and um they usually just have uh like maybe five years at least five years of cybersecurity of working on cybersecurity role and 
it typically they'll have another certification like yourself. You have a CISSP, a CISM. You should be good. A CASP. You should be good to go ahead and take that certification. I don't know what. Um, it's been a while since I looked at the domains of CISA, so I can't even speak on it off the top of my head. I'd have to Google it. <laughs> but if somebody else chimes in, I'll I'll uh, I'll read it. Um, let me see here. So I should just go hardcore study on NIST 853 and look for roles on that. Um, D. Barry, if you have no experience, here's just, I'm just going to put my two cents on it. Here's just my two cents, D. Barry. I would have to have your, know your background. Tell me like, what is your background? Are you an IT professional? If you've been doing this for, have you been doing this for a while? Or if you're coming with, Zero experience. If you have IT background at all, because I can tell you like this, if you have zero IT background, um, I would not necessarily do the NIST 853 just yet or NIST 800 in general just yet. I would get basic IT knowledge. Start from the basics, like how do computers work, the server, client model. How's cloud computing work? How's networking? Basic stuff, basic stuff. Um, if you have, I would say if you are an IT professional already, if you're a help desk, you've been doing that for a while, or you're, you know, maybe you're a network engineer or something like that, um, then I would say what, what you need to do is study something called the NIST 837. So NIST 800 is a series of, um, when we say NIST 800, we're basically talking about the special publications that the NIST put out for federal systems. It's a bunch of books, guidebooks that uh, give a standard or guidance on what organizations should do to secure their systems. The very first one that you should read is called the NIST 837. Because the NIST 837 kind of, from a bird's eye view tells you what an organization's cycles are like how what what is the first second third fourth fifth step that the organization needs to do in order to secure a system an information system in their environment that was, and it's not a, a long read nist 837 along with that you can read uh fips 200 and fips 199 those th those are literally eight pages long like they're very simple reads it's not it's it's not an exciting read. <laughs> it's not it's not fun or exciting, but it's money. Like if you want money, if you like money, then I would highly I would highly suggest you read those books. OK, now this is that's if you already are an I.T. professional. Um, the next step, I would say. And then on your resume, you'd be able to say I'm familiar with NIST 837 and you'd not be lying. If you read just 837, FIPS 199, FIPS 200. The next step you need to do, you don't need to read NIST 853. It is, it's like, it's like a thousand pages long. It's got like a thousand security controls. It is a reference guide. It would be like reading the phone book. It'd be like, it'd be like taking the phone book and just reading it cover to cover. Like who does that? You know what I mean? Like, that's <laughs> not necessary unless you're looking for Sarah Connor or something. So, <laughs> so 
So you don't have to read. It's a, it's a reference guide. If you read the NIST 837, it will guide you through. Now, what you could do with 830.53 is you could look at the families. Like the There's like uh, 20 families of controls. And if you're familiar with the 20 families of controls, that'll help you out a lot. Like there's NIST. There's um, AC, uh, a uh, control family called AC, which is access control families. You don't have to read every one, but it will be enough for you to read like AC1, AC2, AC3 or something like that. And then you can go to AU family of controls. And AU controls are talking about um, authentication. Like why not authentication? Sorry. Uh, Logging, uh, log events and, and continuous monitoring and things like that. So mainly it's just like turning logs on. And then the first one is AU1 just talks about the policy. All the dash ones talk about policy, by the way. So you read AU1, AU2, AU3, and then done. Go over to the next family. That's what I would recommend you do. Or you could also just read my book, which I wrote a whole book about this, where I break it down just like I'm talking about now, family, going by families and what you need to know as a, as a cybersecurity professional about the families. And so that's what I would do. Um, you don't have to buy anything. It's all free. You can go to um, – it's on uh, – nist.gov's site they have a whole breakdown of it very comprehensive all downloadables all kinds of stuff what you really want to do is learn is be familiar enough to know to be able to say i've done that before when it talks about policy it's one thing to hear the word but it's another to have written a policy or been a part of writing a policy you'd be surprised you may have written a policy before and didn't even know it you may have written a procedure before and it thought nothing of it. And those are the things you want to put on a resume. But you wouldn't even know, but since everybody just wants to be a hacker, you wouldn't know how much security that you already have done. Because everybody wants, every. it's always, oh, hacker this and hacker that. And I know this code. And they don't talk about the stuff we're talking about here. This is not pop. It's not sexy. It's not popular. It's not fun, but if you put that shit on your resume, you'll be making money. You won't. It's not fun, but you'll be making money. I don't know how, you know, if you like money, then try it. Uh, let me see. That's how I feel at my organization. I'm getting burned out. Yeah, Netta, you know, it's, it's really common. Um, it's really common among information system security officers to get burned out because there's so much put on our shoulders. And it's easy to, you want things to go right. You know, you want as, especially if you're a great worker, you're going to go above and beyond. And the thing you got to remember that I always keep in mind is that this is ongoing. This is not something, sometimes you don't, it's not, doesn't feel fulfilling because you didn't finish this thing. It's a constant flow. It's like a river. There's always continuously vulnerabilities coming through and the best we can do is the best we can do like the best we can do is manage is be do our due diligence it's it's a huge step in the right direction for the organization to at least know what vulnerabilities are there and that's our job it's not everybody it's everybody's responsibility to do this and sometimes organizations feel like it's your responsibility and that's just not a bad it's it's a mis it's 
not correct. It is not correct. And it can burn you out very, very fast. And I've been in organizations that did that, where they kept blaming us, our ISOs for this or that. And why isn't this done? And why are you telling about us this about us, this stuff now? You should have told us this eight months ago, whatever. And it's and they're all this blame game. And I would just recommend moving on. Move on with your career, if that's the case. I've had to do it myself. Like sometimes it's just too stressful. And it's like I'm sometimes on my last job, I was dealing with a client who just they were on me, man. They, they it was a I don't want to talk too much about it, but wow, they were really on me. And I was already my my life is not eat like I was going through some stuff. And then they were on me every call. And I'm like, man, <clears throat> I really don't need this like right now. I, I really don't need I'm doing my best here. And um, I, you know, two or three other clients and stuff. I did my best. And then I'm like, I got to I got to go, you know, so that's part of what happened. But <clears throat> yeah. And um, sometimes you just got to leave that situation. And and um, I, I won't blame you for doing that. Risk cannot be zero. I agree. I agree with that. Um, let me see if I have any other stuff going on. You guys missed it. I already did this earlier um, where I we spoke for about 30 minutes or so. And we've been talking for about an hour. So I'm going to take a couple more comments questions, complaints, and then I'm going to call this one quits. Um, somebody, TT on TikTok said, um, is cybersecurity analyst entry level? It, there's entry level analyst positions. Is it as a whole? That would be like saying, is healthcare as a whole entry level? Like that's a broad, that's a very broad. <clears throat> cybersecurity analyst is a pretty broad field. Um, it goes into forensics. It goes into network um, forensics. It can get into, there's many different aspects of cyber security analyst work. So there's entry level analysts all the way up to managers who are cybersecurity analysts. So their question is, is there cybersecurity analyst entry level? Yes, there are. But in IT, as I talked about before, entry level doesn't mean the same thing as it does in other fields. Like when you in other fields, when you say entry level, it means you could just walk in off the street and just do the job, right? And power wash somebody's sidewalk or whatever, you know, or do some roofing or something like that. But in IT, when they say entry level, it can be a little bit misleading because it doesn't mean zero experience all the time. Sometimes it means that you have six months to a year of experience in IT. That's not I'm not telling you that you cannot find an, uh, a job with zero experience as a cybersecurity analyst. You can. Now, what I will say is that you are going to be it's going to be very, very difficult to find a cybersecurity or IT uh, job or role with no knowledge. Um that's going to be damn near impossible. But if you have the knowledge, you have little or very no experience, um, you could get you could find a cybersecurity analyst entry level. It's not going to be easy to find, but they they do exist. I see them from time to time. They're out there. You could probably get a, a good entry level job doing some cybersecurity role. So do they exist? Yes. 
Uh, let me see. Taking classes through community college like boot camp. That's awesome for uh, Security Plus. That's that's great. I think that's awesome. Community college is is slept on, man. And people talk crap about it, but man, I think this should be free. That'd be awesome if they make it for free, like a like it's um, like right out of high school. Boom, they give you let you go to community college. You can continue that like a vocational school. So community college is great. Like you can get an associate's degree from there. I would go for an associate's uh, from there, and then because. Here's the thing. They're not when you get a job and, and put that on your resume that you have an associate's degree and, and a security plus from X community college. They just want to know that you can do the job. That These employers really just want you to they want you to be able to do. It's not going to be enough for you to have a bachelor's degree and know nothing and pretend like, you know, everything like that's not going to fly. Like they really want you to be able to do the work. So, Stacy, what you need to do. While you're going to college, while you're going to this boot camp to get the security plus is get the experience, as much experience as you can. What I mean is like set up Wi-Fi networks. Um, if you whatever can be at your community college, at, see if you can even work for them at the community college itself. Help them set up the Wi-Fi network. Help them, You want to put that stuff on your resume. Help them. Uh, I don't know. Uh, help them with the signatures of the viruses anything you can do even if it's volunteer work come in early and help help them set up the lab put that on your resume and that is going to help you out like you got to actually have experience as much experience as you can because that's going to help you out with your when you actually get into the field because that's they want to be able they want somebody who has hands-on experience who's going to be able to hit the ground running who's not afraid of a of a router, of a switch, of or a server, or whatever you happen to be working on. The program is for cybersecurity certificate. Yeah, get that, get that experience while you're working on it. Thanks, brother, for the free book. Military members. Yep, free book right now, limited time offer. <laughs> helps me out, helps you guys out. The downloads, when, whenever you guys download the book, it, it kind of like gives me points on Amazon because they want to, they want, whenever you release a new book, every download you get or anybody who purchases the book, um, the free download is considered a purchase. You download it, it, it kind of puts me up on this, on this book rating that they have. And um, and if you give me a review, that's even better. That's more points, more points for me. And I appreciate I appreciate everything. Even if you guys are just kind of taking a look at it, I really appreciate it. It's very, very helpful to me. Um, I'd like to connect with you regarding possibility of pivoting out of ISSM. Oh, you're an ISSM. Um, do you have an email that I can ask questions? Yeah. OK, I can give my email out. Um. And I apologize in advance for um, if it takes me a while to to get back to you. I get a lot of people. I get a lot of contacts. People contacting me about random stuff. It's contact at convocourses.com. That's my email right there. If you have like personal, you know, stuff that you don't we you can't really discuss here because it's more like to pertaining specifically to you, then that's, you know, it's a great opportunity to contact me about it. And uh, we, we can, um, 
I'll see if I can help. I mean, I can't guarantee that I'm gonna be able to help. You know, I'm just a red Joe's blow freaking random ass dude on the internet. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, um, let me see here. Great session, Bruce. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for watching. Appreciate that. Um, I'm not professional. I'm pivoting. I'm a. I'm in IBM support. Support technician certificate program, but I'm also just did a DevOps project, deploying a bookstore through AWS. Oh man, that's awesome, D Barry. That's the kind of stuff that you need to do, man. Make sure you put that on your resume. And that's AWS is. They're looking a lot of organizations right now looking for somebody with AWS experience because um, a lot of it's just a popular platform many people are using. So definitely put that on your resume, all that stuff on your resume. And, it, and just keep getting that experience. It's all about compliance, but still as it's very, very important. Compliance is super important. Um, dealing with FIPS myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, guys, I think that's about it. Um, thank you guys for watching. I really appreciate it. If you guys didn't know, I've got a free book for a limited time offer. Um, I put out books after I write, I'm already on my, the next book in this series It's it's NIST cybersecurity framework. And this is the first book in the series. Go ahead and check it out. Download it right now. For free on Amazon, link in description, link in bio, link in uh, profile if you're going to watch me on TikTok. Download it. It helps me out. Just if you just download it and be like, okay, I'm never going to read this. I'd rather, it'd be great if you did read through it, learn some stuff. I really appreciate the feedback. Um, I'm trying to be better as a writer. You know, Leave me a review on there. Helps out quite a bit. I got another one coming out. That one's going to take me a while, probably like another uh, if I had to guess, like another, I don't know, four weeks or something for me to write. A lot of times when I disappear, that's what I'm doing is I'm just writing, I'm editing, I'm working with editors and all this kind of stuff. That's mainly what I do when I'm not working. So um, that's it. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your comments. All you professionals, thank you so much. I always appreciate you guys coming in and helping other people out and giving advice and everything. And I will talk to you guys later. Peace.